think all of my traveling has shown me one thing, gratitude to be an American, gratitude to live in New York, and gratitude to be blessed with what I have, whatever that is. I have a very special guest today, one of my favorite ladies in the world. She uh, is retired, but one wouldn't think so because she's always on the go. She came to Cyprus for my third anniversary conference last year, and she came from New York. And recently I met her there and we had a few couple of meals in Manhattan and we had a good chat. And I feel like I feel like I've known her forever. Sara mm-hmm. Bernikov, welcome to Most Memorable Journeys. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Um, I'm visiting Cyprus right now. <laughs> you are. You're here with me in my sitting room. I see that. It's really exciting. Um, I love to share experiences and I love Cyprus and I adore you. So it's all good. That's a good start. <laughs> so <laughs> listen, since we are at it, what did you think when you came to Cyprus? We don't have to. We, there is no there is no there is no uh, proper sequence in my podcast. So we can start with that. You liked oh. it. I know. And I know why. But I want to tell the people who are I want you to tell the people who are listening. Well, I must be honest with you. You know, let's start out that I spelled Cyprus C-Y-P-R-E-S-S because that's Cyprus in Brooklyn, (laughs) Cyprus Hill. So I didn't even know how to spell the country's name. So I'm a little embarrassed, but I had no knowledge. I mean, I Googled it on Wikipedia and I saw it was an island, but I had no clue. And um, when I got there, I was just so taken back by the beauty of the place, by the food, by the people. The only thing was I... You know, people speak English, but then you have Greek people. And so all the signs are in Greek. Greek, And um, that was really strange to me because for a place that's so sophisticated, has such great food and has such nice people, I thought, why aren't the signs in English? <laughs> Some so, are. Some are in English. I Maybe you I didn't look properly. Well, you know, when I went to Greece when I was very young, I try to learn a few words in the language. I always try. I have a little index card. Hello, how are you? Thank you. No, yes. Where's the bathroom? How much does it cost? And numbers from one to 10. But when I went to Greece and I've been there twice, I turned around to my girlfriend and I said, this is all Greek to me. (laughs) She said, I was hoping you wouldn't say that, Sora. (laughs) What you did. So talking about now, you mentioned this index card and I think that may go back to what you were when you were a professional. You were a teacher. You were teaching English to children, weren't you? Yes, I taught English. I have a master's in English as a second language. And I've always felt myself to be global. And this is the way, this is part of the way that I fulfilled that part of me was I love to have kids in front of me who came from all over the world, who hardly spoke English. And I kind of made a a haven for them in a very difficult situation. I mean, they come to a school, 800 kids, nobody speaks their language. And it's really, really, really tough. But I try to make it as best as possible for them to understand that just because they were different didn't mean that I didn't care about them. And we were going to help them get ahead. And that's, and I love them. And that was a really great experience. And I learned a lot. I learned about how to teach. Did you learn about their culture sometimes? Did they tell you where to, you know, when they came from? No, because they hardly hardly spoke English. Um, The only thing I will admit, Elizabeth, that's a funny question. I did get a kid to show you how naive I was. 
I was in a school and um, a kid came to me from Malta and I didn't know what Malta was. You know, I thought a Malta was a Malted like they serve in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> it's another funny island. Yeah. And that, so I immediately, that's pre-computer days. I went up and I had to look at where Malta was and I went, wow, I, I think I want to visit there one day. So, um, no, what I really learned through being an ESL teacher was um, we're all the same. We're just culturally different, but we're all the same. You know, we both, we all want to be okay. That's so yeah. true. That is so true. That's normally, that's actually my phrase. I usually say that, but it's okay. You're, you're allowed to use it. We <laughs> are all the same. We are. We, did you ever make, did you ever make it to Malta? No, I haven't been to Malta yet, but um, I have a feeling I'll get there. Yeah, yeah, actually, it's easily combinable with Cyprus because there is a direct flight from here. So one day you'll oh. do that as well. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Something else that I wanted to, to to ask you because you are an English teacher, you're a linguist, I'm a linguist, I'm an interpreter, and I look at Facebook posts or social media posts and I look at the grammar sometimes and I'm not <laughs> talking about people whose who who whose mother tongue isn't English. I'm talking about people whose mother tongue is English. Do you cringe as much as I do when you read certain things? Oh, that's a great question. So to be perfectly honest, I don't see as much as a poor grandma on social media as I do on the dating sites. You know, I'm single, if anybody out there is listening. <laughs> and I tell you, nobody uses a capital letter. Nobody uses a period or a comma. And when the guys text me, I cringe because I'm the kind that can't send anything out unless I think it's grammatically well done. And but and also texting, everybody's reduced to nothing. So, but here's the thing. I have this, I used to be really petty about this, but now I have this new thing. I can't fight what is, you know, don't resist what is and what you resist persists. So when that happens, I go, oh, maybe it's late at night. Maybe they're not thinking, <laughs> you know, I, I, and now we're getting to AI. And um, so every, we don't even have to function in AI. So uh, I think the world is going that direction where all these rules eventually are going to become very minimized. Nobody wants rules, but nobody's the one who's going to come out and say, let's get rid of them. But there's this reduction of, of contextual correctness. I can't fight it. But it does, I do judge someone somewhat on their structure. I, I can't help it. You know, um, it's just who I am. If your writing is poor, that means you're a sloppy speaker, I think. I agree with you and I cringe and I want to correct, but of course I don't because it's it's not polite. But would you date somebody who has really, really bad grammar? No. <laughs> see? You see? No, because I'd be re I'd be resentencing him the whole time. You I would see? be and, and the thing is I don't want to change anyone and I don't want anyone trying to change me. But when someone has poor grammar, it's kind of I don't live there. I live in very, uh, see, poor, again, Elizabeth, I really feel that poor grammar is a reflection of how you speak. If you speak poorly, you're going to write poorly. If your English is, okay, no, I, I don't, I could, I, if, no. No, you I, see, I, no. You were a teacher in Brooklyn, but you have yeah. been living in Manhattan for many, many years. How long have you been living in Manhattan? Oh, over 30 years. 30 years, because, you know, you. I know that you are a real, a real, I don't know, what do you call a person from Manhattan? A Manhattaner? 
Uh, oh, we say um, I'm a real New Yorker. Okay. All right. But Brooklyn is in New York as well. Well, it is. And I went to Queens College. So I did that for a long time and uh, went to Brooklyn College. Um, here's the thing. I'm an equal opportunity borough liver. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm an equal opportunity borough liver. However, what happened was, um, the pure truth of the, the difference in the boroughs is that I schlepped to East New York for over 30 years. So I spent between one and two hours each way on the train from the time I was very young. So I do not want to get out of the theater at 1040 and then have to take the train home to Brooklyn where I can just walk home or take a train three or four stops. So I'm very into, I'm very into convenience. That's a big thing for me. That's why I love Manhattan. Now they're opening a new deli right across from my building with all this. So it's so easy. I go downstairs and I buy like a new candy bar. You know, I'm so spoiled. <laughs> I'm so spoiled. It's terrible. You are. And I watch you and I see what you do. And you are so interested in everything new that opens. And you go and try stuff and you write about it. And uh, you have a blog. Uh, you took us to Sardis when we were in New York class. This month was actually this month. And then you blogged about it. I love what you do. It, it, it's amazing. But I want to go back a little bit now because it's this famous question. Do you remember when you were on a plane for the first time? Oh, I actually, oh, I remember really clearly. I was about 20 and um, I had a girlfriend who came from a very wealthy family and they always flew around and I didn't grow up with much. I mean, my father worked really hard, but we had to watch it all. And um, so her mother was said, would you like to go to Florida with us? Would you like to go to Miami to the Fountain Blue with us? Or? And um, I said, sure. And my parents let me go because they knew she was my best friend. And we went. And um, I remember that trip. I remember the clothes I packed because I left. I had very little growing up. You know, whatever I had, I really treasured. So I had these this butterfly pin with um, yellow and green stones that I'd Wore to my brother's bar mitzvah, <laughs> and I had matching earrings. And I had that. I left them in the taxi in Florida, and I'll never forget that because it was a major. It was a big loss for me at the time because uh, I really didn't have that much money at all. So um, yeah, Florida. That was my first trip, first time on an airplane. It's it's funny looking back. It's very fitting that it should be Miami because my brother lives there and I fly there a couple of times a year. So um, Amazing. You mean you yeah. left the earrings in the taxi? Yeah, it was the earrings and the pin were together. And those that was the only jewelry maybe I had at the time. And I oh left it. I know it was, it was sad for me. But what I've learned, Elizabeth, is that in life, the most important thing are people. And things are things. My mother taught me that. She would say, it's only, you know, it's only a pin, Sora. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I, I, I work on not being attached to possessions. I, I don't like that. You know, I really try not to be attached, you know. That's it's important. I, I agree with you. I'm trying it too. Of course, there is certain things that we like. But um, yeah, yeah, because, you know, there are all these memes that we read. And, you know, they sound so cliche, but it's so true. Like, Life is about the little things. The important things are the little things because that. that they, I agree. I agree. I yeah. so agree. I really work on non-attachment for me personally. I That's a big thing in my life because what I found through the years is that if you're attached, that means when it's gone, you're you're broken. And I, I don't choose to be broken. Mm -hmm. I've been broken enough. 
<laughs> Broken costs a lot of money in a therapist's office. Okay, <laughs> that is true. So recently, not long ago, you you, you went to Antarctica. How was your trip yeah. to Antarctica? What 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 was was it special? Was it was it what you expected? You know, the people. Uh, it was very different than what I expected. Very different. I flew three nights to Buenos Aires, and uh, and then I got on the ship for fourteen days. And uh, it was freezing, so I wasn't happy because I hate being cold. So the, the ship doors were opening and closing and opening and closing, and everybody was running out to see every iceberg. And, and I was freezing all the time, so um, I wasn't happy. But I learned a lot, and I was really taken in. Um, I was really taken in and in awe, in awe of the majesty, the majesty of this continent, the majesty. It's just... You know, there's no people there except scientists and um, except I read somewhere that I think six or 14 kids were born there. Uh, they tell you not to go if you have teeth problem because they can't get you to a dentist. Um, it's it's very mad. It's it's majestic. So did I love it? No. You know, like I love Cyprus. I loved Bali. I love a lot of places, but I didn't love Antarctica. It was too. Um, off, but I I was taken in by it, uh-huh. you know. It's yeah, just, that's very yeah, interesting because funny enough, you know, so many people are going and when you went and I was, I, I don't, I have no interest really. And I probably, that's probably why, because yes, I do love nature, but I love people and culture and there isn't really that much culture in Antarctica. Uh, no, the only thing, so we had lectures all the time on the ship and I went to the lectures so if you love turtles, if you love penguins and you love uh, whales and you love, if you're an ornithologist and you love the birds, then it's then it's unbelievable. You know, it's unbelievable. But you're just looking at icebergs and you're just freezing. <laughs> I guess I don't love, the only thing that I would like is a picture with all those many penguins, but that's a long trip just for that picture. So I think I'll, I'll, skip, I'll skip Antarctica. Well, the thing is, but here's the thing, Elizabeth, here's what you would love. It wasn't only Antarctica. Our first stop was um, uh, Porto uh, Montevideo, Uruguay. So the first stop was, so that was great. I loved Montevideo. I felt that I could live there maybe for a little while. And the second stop was a coastal town in Argentina called Porto Madryn. And Porto Madryn, we we visited the Magellan, the Magellan, I think Magellan, penguins and we walked the whole walk with them and we visited them in their homes that was amazing so it wasn't only Antarctica then we had to go two days to Antarctica then two days in Antarctica and then after that we went to Ushuaia which is the capital of Terra del Fuego the southernmost tip I've been there I have been in Ushuaia oh my god when I was 10 years old I read this book called the end of the world and I always dreamt of going to Ushuaia and going to Terra del Fuego. So when I went to Terra del Fuego, I just couldn't believe I was there. I just couldn't believe it. It took me decades, but I got there. <laughs> That's amazing. How Isn't it funny the stuff that we sometimes remember from childhood, things that we read or that were, were read to us, and then suddenly after so many years, we are there and know that it actually exists? You know, Ushuaia, um, Terra del Fuego in particular, because I had this obsession to go to the end of the world. I had this thing. And 
I, what I learned was the end of the world really isn't the end of the world. But in 1907, they, um, they created, uh, I think it was Argentina, created a penal colony and sent, it was like death row. And they really, really disrespected the men. And the men had to build a railroad in the cold. And they built this railroad. And, but it was so bad. And they called this the end of the world because it was their death sentence. And but in 1947, the governor realized no good and he stopped it. But that's why it's really called the end of the world, because the prison, it was the prisoner's death sentence. Um, and that was it was very interesting. It was very sad, very sad. Amazing. Yeah. Have you been to Africa? Yeah, I love Africa. <clears throat> Where have you been? Have you been to Africa? Yes, I worked in North Africa. I've been to South Africa. I worked in in. in I actually worked for two weeks in Togo once, and I was in yeah. Kenya and Tanzania. Where did you go? Well, that's what I love about you. You've been all over. You know, it's like oh my gosh. I mean, I'm you. You've been and stayed. I've been in and out. <laughs> that's the difference. So, um, my first trip. <clears throat> well, what happened was. So sometimes I have people to travel with and sometimes I don't. And my sister sent me an article. She lives in Atlanta. She sent me an article about groups to travel with single people. So I signed up for a trip to Kenya um, many years ago. It was a group coming out of Atlanta, but it was a mission trip. And that's what really appealed to me. So we had to bring two suitcases, one with our clothes and one with this, the poorest orphanage, the poorest orphanage and $40 each to pay for a teacher for the year. And I had no idea what to expect. We flew to Amsterdam and then we changed planes and then we went to Kenya. And then we went to a lodge across from the museum. What really was disheartening is they said, we can't leave the lodge even to go across to the museum because they were afraid we'd be kidnapped. But um, we wound up going to the orphanage. And I tell you, you know, as an educator and working with kids, I don't know how I controlled myself, Elizabeth. This was a feat of great magnitude. <laughs> I mean, it was so sad to me that I it was just beyond pathos. These kids had nothing. If I tell you nothing, they were waiting for our food. And it was just so sad. They each had a plastic bag of possessions hanging off a rickety bed, um, you know, lined with newspaper and a tin thing. I mean, it was horrifying to me. I did the best I took to control myself, but I was in a lot of pain watching their life. And yet they did a performance for us that changed my life forever. They were so happy. They were so happy that they were here and they were so singing for us. And, and that made me realize that you don't have to have a lot to find joy. And that changed my life completely. You see, that goes back to not being attached to stuff. Well, I'm, I really work hard at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about Asia? Because so, I think oh, you've, been every, you've been on every continent, haven't you? One left, one left. And that's Australia. Australia, that's the only one I have left. Well, that was my dream since I'm a little girl. When I was growing up in Brooklyn, my father said, no, we can't go into the city. No, no, no. That was a big deal. And um, so we really didn't do much. We went to the 13 original colonies. My, my mother would pack a... a a, a box in the back with cheese sandwiches, peanut butter and jelly. We'd go to New Hampshire, Massachusetts and Vermont and all those, but we never did anything else. So I always had this vision of traveling the world. And, um, but back to Africa, uh, if you don't, if I want to no, just- No, no, go on, go on. It's your show. 
Oh, my show? Oh, yes. da <laughs> <laughs> No, so I just wanted to put in that I also went to um, Kenya, not Kenya, um, Cape Town. I took another trip. I loved Africa so much that I um, went to Cape Town, Swaziland, and um, Johannesburg. And wow. Did you like, I love Cape Town. What did you think of Cape Town? It's like being in Miami. It's like... <laughs> Well, I think, you see, I always say my three favorite towns in the world are Sydney, Cape Town and Lucerne. And, you know, my hometown in Switzerland. And it's because they all have a body of water, you know, Sydney and, and oh, that's Cape interesting. Well, I like Cape Town because um, the hotel I stayed at. Well, here was the problem with Cape Town, though. I stayed at a lovely five star hotel right by the water with the palm trees. But um, I wanted to go to synagogue with my girlfriend, which was at the other end of the town. And the tour guide uh, said, I don't want you going because I'm afraid it's too dangerous at night to walk back through the town to come to the hotel. And it's an orthodox synagogue and they won't let you use a phone. And so I really knew that th that wasn't going to work. And I also loved going to Robbins Island and seeing when Nelson Mandela was jailed and how he spent all those years there. It gave me a lot of strength. It gave me a lot of strength, just, just gave me a lot of strength to, to watch what he went through for 26 or seven years and then how he came out and just shows anything is possible, but you have to have great faith, you know. That is so true. That is so true. And there is so much we can learn or we still have to learn. And, you know, we we see it, but we don't really see it unless somebody really tells us about it. And And I think we also realize how lucky we are. Well, I think all of my traveling has shown me one thing, gratitude to be an American, gratitude to live in New York, and gratitude to be blessed with what I have, whatever that is, because so many people are suffering. You know, I was going to so many suffering countries. I said to a friend, I can't do this anymore. I only want to go to rich countries. Yeah. I I, there's so much suffering. I saw so much suffering in Africa. I saw so much suffering in a lot of places. I don't so much stuff. India. Oh, my God. So much suffering. It's just too much for me because I'm an empathetic person and I want to save everyone. So, um, yeah, but you see, sometimes the things that we think that people suffer, they don't really suffer. I understand what you're saying. But for example, I'm always grateful to be a free person, you know, to live in a country where I can freely express myself. But, um, you know, like some some of the things that we see in certain places that that we think restricts people doesn't. They are used to it. You see, they um, they are happier. Some people are happier than we are with a lot less. Well, you know, that's another thing I learned. Unfortunately, I really learned from traveling what's important and what's really important is community and relationships, not so much where you live, but what like think of I think of myself as a wheel and I'm the hub. You know, what are the extensions of my wheel and and how solid are those extensions and how comforting are those extensions? And um, when I went to Africa, I was really blown away by the connection in the community, by the connection of the family. And we don't, I don't have that, you know, as a New Yorker, I don't have that. So, I mean, I have I have other things that substitute for that, but it's not the same. You know, yes, I look, I'm. Like I said, I'm very consistent. I work on non-attachment. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, no, I think it's all these all these things are fascinating. And I think 
when, you know, you already said it before, when you go a little deeper, you realize that all we want, all of us, is we just want to be happy. We just want to be free and happy and safe. I think being safe is also a big issue. Yeah, well, um, it's like uh, yesterday I had the, <laughs> you know, I have, I live in a studio apartment and I, I, I like to keep my windows clean. So I got to deal with one of the guys, the handyman. He comes in and for 40 bucks, which is really not a lot of money, he cleans my window. So he told me he's going to Poland in two weeks. He's a nice guy. His parents live there and everything. And I said, well, Peter, you better be careful. He goes, if they want me to fight, I will fight. I said, okay, but make sure you come back. I need my windows cleaned. (laughs) (laughs) That's very selfish, (laughs) Sora. Well, you know, I didn't say I was an angel. (laughs) (laughs) No, we know that you're not. I want to go back a little bit to something that we talked about when we were, when we had dinner. I have the feeling, did you tell me that you met Donald Trump? I did. So I did. I did meet him decades ago. I I was very into charity work and I had a, a girlfriend who was very into charity work. And somehow, because this was her thing, she managed to get us on the board of Models Against Models Against Pediatric AIDS. And Marla Maples was, um, she was part of the board. And so my girlfriend and I, we were sitting in all the meetings with the planning. And then we had the event at the Woman Rank. And I saw Donald Trump, uh, I stood this close to him, like very close for those who are listening. And I remember what I was wearing. It's funny. I always remember what I was wearing. Uh, that's because I come from Brooklyn and we think about those things. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, I was selling raffle tickets. And uh, I remember I looked at him. He looked. I remember thinking he was a very nice looking guy when he was younger. You know, I thought, wow, he's a nice looking guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I didn't at that time. I really had no clue. But I did go to the when I was hanging out in New York, I did go to the same restaurant where he met his first wife, Ivanka, Ivana, Ivana. He met her at Maxwell Plums. And that's where I used to go. And when I lived in Brooklyn, we used to drive in and stand online to get into Maxwell Plums and eat dinner there, hoping to meet a guy. (laughs) Oh, my God. What is it called? Maxwell Plums. Yeah, Maxwell Plums. See, there were two places on First Avenue, uh, 60th and 61st or 2nd. And one was... TGF, TGI Friday, and the other was Maxwell Plums. Maxwell Plums was a classier place, and that's where he met his first wife. He just walked over to her, and that's how he met her. Oh, my God. You mean you mean TGI Fridays as the Jane? That was the other place you went yeah. into? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been so different. I mean, when you look at Manhattan now and how much, it, it, you have watched it change. It's changed 100%, 100%, 100%. I mean, and not for the better, you know, and not for the better. So, um, you know, I am um, I love New York because I think of New York City as a live expo, as a live expo. So, you know, you go online and you look, you look for something. But there was a time where I went to all the expos at Jacob Javis Center just to be live. You have every exhibitor. I went to Franchising Expo, Packaging Expo. You don't have to go online. You just show up at Jacob Javits Center and there's always an expo and there's always a way to get in, you know? Yeah. So, and you also, you like, the, you like plays and the theater. Oh, I love, I'm passionate about theater. Passionate. Passionate about travel, passionate about theater. I love theater because, so I 
belonged to this club and many years ago. And for six years, I was part of their playwright workshop. So we had playwrights come in and they got 20 minutes and we read a scene out loud. We each became an actor and we read a scene and then we gave feedback. And then we performed one play at the end of the year. That changed my life forever, Elizabeth, because I realized something. You hold the pen. You're the author of your life. You can change anything with a word. And when I realized that, I went, oh, my goodness. And then I went to, I was very fortunate. I had this idea. You know, I love theater, but I don't want to pay. So what did I do? I found the PDF link online. I hope not too many of your listeners are from New York. I found a PDF um, link online with all non-union theater houses. And I applied to the house manager to be an usher. And I became an usher and I was at theater twice a week for about seven years before COVID and never paid. I took people to their seat. I gave people hearing aids and it was wonderful. So combined with my writer's workshop, combined with the fact that I also belong to a group that's very theater-centered and watching these plays, I said, you know what? There's nothing bad. It just has to be rewritten. (laughs) And that's how I approach things. So that's how I live my life. And that is absolutely true. And you are so right about us being in charge. We are holding the pen. And I think the biggest problem in life is letting somebody hold the pen. Well, that's not possible for me because I'm from Brooklyn. They'd be squished. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but not everybody is from Brooklyn. And, you know, we deal with a lot of people. I, I have a lot of clients who who first, I have to inform them first that, you know, it's up to you what you ha- how you want to write your story. And it's also up to you if you want to correct it and if you want to maybe erase a few passages and, and start fresh. Well, that's one of the things that I love about your post, Elizabeth, Because you, I I love your posts. I really, truly love them because you really know you hold the pen. And I really know I hold the pen. And I'm not from Brooklyn. (laughs) So you see, it it went through the waters, okay? (laughs) Went through the waters. But here's the problem with holding the pen. This is why a lot of people might not want to hold the pen. When you hold the pen, you really have to take responsibility. Yes. And that's a full-time job. Yes. So unless you're ready to get into the deep sheep, as I like to say, um, it's why would you want the job? It's it's a lot easier to give someone the pen. But in my world, that's a certain death. So it's not going to happen. Yeah, um, no, that is so true. And I think um, it's easier, much easier, very often to blame than to be responsible. But, you know, I always I also use the metaphor of the driver's seat and the passenger seat. When you are in the passenger seat, you may have you can blame the driver, but then you also you have no no you can't tell where it goes. You know, you, you're not in charge of the destination. So it's, well, it's, it's when you give someone else the pen. And I like that as a metaphor. Mm hmm. You're never going to show up as who you are. It's not possible because once you turn that pen over, they write the script. That's absolutely true. And that means when you pass and when you're no longer here, someone else wrote your script. I mean, it's a safe way to live because you don't have to think a lot. Mm -hmm. You You don't have to think because you're always thinking what the person who's holding the pen is going to think. So you're less, you're less enamored by what you're going to write. Because you're so concerned about the opinion of the person who's holding the pen. 
But then you leave this earth and who were you? You were someone who gave someone else the pen. And and I think that's a boring life. You know, that's my opinion. I totally agree. We've gone very deep here now, Zora Veronica. Oh, let's is, not go deep. This is, uh, <laughs> but it's so, so true. And, and uh, you know, it also happens to people sometimes that they actually suddenly realize that they don't like that story anymore, that somebody else writes for them, and then they wake up and change it. Well, the thing is, um, there's a thing they always post. I mean, I'm I'm addicted to Facebook. So there's a quote they always put on, you know, you're not a tree. If you don't like it, pick up the and change it. But, you know, everything is so individual, you know, and everything is up to the individual. And I place no judgment on who holds the pen. I just can tell you that I love my pens. I buy them in gross from Amazon. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> Yes, yes. I agree with you. And I think it's it's up to everybody, you know, to each one of us to decide if you want to write yourself or if you want it to be, to be written by somebody else. It's not our job to judge them. But I agree with you. I hold my own pen, too. Let's well, go. that's what I love about your post, Elizabeth, because you hold your own pen. And every, every time I read your post, it really it really strengthens me because I, I believe, as you believe, that you should do your own plays. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, what's on your bucket list? Is it Australia? What What is the next like dream trip that you would like to go on? Oh, that's funny. Well, you know, I, I'm a woman that likes to reach her goals. So when I was 10, when I was little in Brooklyn in the basement, my goal was the seven continents. So um, I'd like to go to Australia and New Zealand. That's just to finish my goal, because I get like I have to cross it off. So, um, but after that, I'd like to go to Switzerland because I've never been there. I've, I'd love to go to Switzerland and see where Heidi grew up, you know, and uh, I think it sounds beautiful there. And I love beauty. And um, really every place um, I'd like to go to the Canadian Rockies. I've never been there. I'd like to go back to Alaska. I've never been there. I mean, I've been to Alaska, but this it's a huge place. So I'd like to see more of it. I love natural beauty. I'd like to go back to Costa Rica. It's so beautiful there. So much nature. I don't know. There's so many places. Uh, I know where I don't need to go back. Like I don't need to go back to Italy. I've been there a couple of times. I've seen it. I'd, I'd like to go back to France uh, to see the different parts of France. But, it, you know, I've been traveling a lot. I've been traveling for decades. So I kind of feel like I've seen a lot. I'd love to go back to Africa on safari again. I love safari. There's nothing like getting up at 5.30 in the morning and sitting on a Jeep and looking at the giraffes and the elephants. To me, that's heaven. So Amazing. So, well, we definitely have to go to Switzerland together. Oh, my God, I'm on the plane. That that is uh, you really. I, I I can show you Switzerland like nobody else does. Well, we'll have to do that. I've been to Australia. I've been to the Canadian Rockies. Everything is so beautiful. You have to go. You really do. Uh, you should plan it. But before we do all this, we're going to London together. Oh my God! I'm so excited. Yes, we're going to the Global Woman Summit. And uh, do you know that? Two. Uh, I'm really excited. I've not been to London, so this is a first for me. Uh, because when I was very young, in my 20s, this, I said, why should I go to England? They speak English. That's no fun. And now all I want to do is speak English. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually have not been to London before? No. 
Oh my no. God, Sarah, I'm so much look. I'm now I'm even more looking forward to it. We're going to have fun. We're going to be there in July. Yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to learning a lot from the speakers. I'm looking forward to my first time in London. And first times are always fun. But for me, every event, every adventure holds something. And, and you know, it's like a movie or a play. I'm kind of odd that way. I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know. I want to be surprised. Yeah. Well, the only thing that I can tell you, Global Woman Summits are epic. They oh, are. Right. Yes. I mean, I both I, I I did two in person and then, of course, two in uh, even even on Zoom, they were good. But the ones in person are very, very memorable. Now we're getting time flies when you're having fun. We're getting to the end. But we need to talk a little bit about what you do. You write books. Oh, what do I do? Well, what do I do. I ask myself that every morning. <laughs> no, I'm very, I'm kind of a focused individual. So um, I, I, so what do I do? So it all started in the classroom. You know, I have to go back to that. Oh my goodness. Um, so I taught, I taught English to kids who didn't speak English in an inner city school. And then I healed myself of, of overeating and I wrote a book on that. I was a no diet weight loss coach. And now I'm writing a book on a positivity program that I also learned in the classroom. So that's my latest project. Um, my website, am I allowed to say my website? Yes, of course. We're going to put it in the show notes. You're oh, gonna- oh, okay. Yes. So yes. my first website for those who are listening and want to stop dieting and make peace with food and just get over it is no dieting.net. And my book is uh, on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. And my new website is um, www.overthinkerscoach.com, overthinkerscoach.com. And what I did was I developed a way with one question that, and you can immediately zap negative and self-doubting thoughts because I truly believe that until you can manage your conscious thinking, you're on an island that doesn't even exist yet. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So um I'm I'm at heart I'm an educator. And and so I'm um, help at this point I've helped hundreds of folks learn how to use the program. And um I'm in the process of writing and when it's ready, it'll be ready, but one never knows how long a creative project takes. So I'm giving myself that grace. That is totally fine. But in the meantime, we are going to put all this information in the show notes. So the people who are listening to this, they will be able to access this and have a look, get in touch with Sora. And, you know, maybe if there is, a, as she said at the beginning, if there is a good looking man listening to us, she's also, uh, <laughs> you know, you never know. <laughs> Listen, and since this is a travel podcast, for those listening, I'm very amenable to um, having two places to live, keeping my apartment. In, my mother would love this. Keeping my apartment in New York and living in your country, I'm fine. <laughs> that is a perfect way to end this podcast. Sarah Vernikov, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I love you lots and I very much look forward to seeing you. Thank you so much for being Thank on. You. Most Thank you, Elizabeth. Journey. It's been so much fun. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.